0: Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash recommend today. Oh, hey, Mimi. Oh, hey, Gigi. When you driving around, just seeing the town, sitting bored at home, feeling all alone, fill up the glass, pick out a glass. Oh. We got the tea, we got the sauce. Get queerified. Okay. Yeah. Let's get queerified.
1: Hey, Mimi. Hi, Gigi. Are you ready to get queerified? Yes. All right, guys, I am Gigi Gorgeous, your host. I am a YouTuber, an actress, a model, a philanthropist, an author. She's everything. (laughs) I'm a woman of many (laughs) traits. And this is Mimi, my best friend ever of 18 years. Let's round it up to 20 now. Let's
2: round up. On Queerified, you guys will hear from very special guests in the LGBTQIA plus community and some allies. But today... Gigi, yes. Today, today we have the one and only, the first trans senator in the United States of America,
1: Sarah McBride. So Sarah McBride is literally the essence of what queerified is. Mm-hmm. She has amazing successes, tons of lessons, some tragic moments, but also some history book. Amazing, insane, insane moments, and I can't wait to get into it. We
2: are back with the first trans senator in all of the United States of America, Senator Sarah McBride. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Senator McBride. Sorry. Uh,
3: Hello. And also, no, please, actually, Sarah, I, I always think people are making fun of me when they call me senator. So I just prefer.
1: Oh, not us. we knew you before the senator title. And it is it's fun to say yes. like senator can I ask you a question, senator. <laughs> but on the real, that must feel so amazing like do you still wake up and pinch yourself even though it's been some time you made obviously viral news you made history textbook yeah literally history textbook open the textbook she's there yeah like this is this is a humongous deal how do you feel about becoming the first trans senator of the united states
3: you know i do actually still pinch myself it is still surreal i always tell my neighbors i'm like fair warning, you might meet you might just catch me like walking around tearing up a little bit occasionally. Yeah, I I still I still get overwhelmed at the fact that I have this opportunity that I have this privilege. And, you know, the idea that I could do this when I was growing up seemed completely impossible. It was almost
1: incomprehensible. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you've opened the door for so many people. So I want to bring it back a little bit to to Sundance when we had a crazy experience, my father was there. And I'm thinking of Sundance because my dad called me when he saw you on the news. And he was like, that is your friend, Sarah. I've I've met the first (laughs) trans senator. This is insane. And my dad is very into all of that. Not as much as I am, but or more than I am rather. And he just was flabbergasted that he had met you in real life. And he was like, wow, I've known history. So do you do you remember conversations with my father? Because he does. I'll let you know. <laughs> and do you remember Sundance Film Festival at all? Like, what do you remember from that? Oh,
3: my gosh. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I think my favorite memory is that we almost got in a car accident on our way down <laughs> to the,
1: house to the yes, restaurant. Yes. We literally almost <laughs> died together.
3: We were in, like, an SUV, and it, like, started skidding down. It was, like, this, like, slow motion almost car <laughs>
1: Yeah. It was I, I remember we were on a hill and it was like the biggest snowstorm that Sundance had ever seen and like I think it was like the second largest in snowstorm history in That's history of all of Sundance
2: yes of all of Park City, Utah it was the second biggest snowfall ever
1: yes, and we're all in this SUV we're running late, mind you, and there's this like eighteen wheeler that stopped, but it's just so slightly skidding towards us and we're just in the car like this is it. <laughs>
3: This, this is going to be the most boring death story ever. We yes, yeah a slow motion collision with some like some like bus, small bus that was. Yes, on and the- it
1: was middle of the afternoon. You know, it was like it was very bright out. We're like, should we get out and run? Because it was it was really slow happening, but it was so dramatic. We're like, well, we can't move because what if he hits black ice? Like we were just holding on. We're like, does everyone have their seatbelts on? <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know, it was like that scene in Austin Powers where the guy is like screaming because the the truck's coming his way and it's gonna run him over and he's just screaming for like three minutes straight.
1: That's it's that. Funny. It was that. It was that. And then I don't even know how we got out of it. Did the car get scratched?
2: I don't know. I barely remember it. It was so. It was such like uh It doesn't even feel real, What happened in Sundance? It doesn't. I barely remember. Oh, so weird. Yeah,
3: and I do remember the snowstorm. I just figured that that's what it was always like in Park City. <laughs> yes, yeah,
1: same. I mean, every time I've been there, it's been it's been snowy as hell. But anyways, I just wanted to give my dad a shout out. Shout out to you, Dad, David, the father of my life. Uh, he just <laughs> is so obsessed with you. And congrats on everything.
3: I will just say because I know we got sidetracked on our slow motion collision, almost slow motion collision. But I loved meeting your family. I met your dad. I oh. remember. I remember meeting your brother and Tiffany. And I just I think about that trip a lot, actually.
1: Mm-hmm. I remember I
2: found out you were running for Senate or you were thinking about it. And I just looked at you and I knew that this moment was and I was like, you're going to be president. Like, I just knew it. Like, I something about it was like, OK, like this is the one like she's going to go for it and it's going to happen.
1: Yeah. Little people have. And it's I feel like in politics it is still, you know, comparable to the entertainment industry of having that star power. Mm -hmm. But like, I've always seen it in you. You've always been so sure of yourself. And I want to ask, what made you get into politics in the first place?
3: I think there were a couple different reasons. I think one, I got involved in politics at a really young age, in large part because of my own journey to authenticity, my own struggle with trying to figure out how I fit into the world. And I saw growing up, reading the history books, learning about history, that one, politics was the place where you could make the most amount of change for the most number of people in the most number of ways possible. And that perhaps it was the way that I could help build a world for more trans people to live openly and authentically. And even if I never mustered the courage to come out, perhaps in helping to build a world where trans folks could come out, I could almost vicariously live through them. And so I think I got involved in large part because of my own struggle with being trans and my own struggle with coming to terms with that and wanting to build a world that was more welcoming for people like me. And then really anyone who faces discrimination
2: or ridicule or stigma simply because of who they are. How did you get into it? Were you volunteering? Were you an activist? I started out volunteering for campaigns. I was in middle school and high school. In middle school and high school? So you were the overachiever.
0: Yes.
3: (laughs) Well... In some things. In Uh other things, I was very much not an overachiever. (laughs) And and what I did was I was like, okay, I'm going to get involved in politics. And I had a core group of friends. We were super involved. But what we do is we would host parties after a volunteer event. So we would get like 40 friends to come with us to a volunteer event with the promise of a really awesome party afterwards. And we became these powerhouse (laughs) politics because we were like, if you, if you promise a party at the end of it, people will come.
1: Totally. And that's often how the world works now.
3: <laughs> yes, <laughs> Honestly, so much can be done if you just develop relationships with one another and if you have fun together. And we were able to do that. And it was really a recipe for a lot of success. And so I got involved that way. And then I eventually went into advocacy after I came out because I came out and I had an incredibly positive experience coming out in college. The, was really supportive. My family was, was supportive. And yet it was still the hardest thing that I had ever done up until that point. And I thought, God, if it's this hard for me, how does anyone else do it? And so I got involved in advocacy because I wanted to make sure that the experiences that I had were no longer a privilege, but a, a right guaranteed to everyone, no matter their gender identity or their
1: sexual orientation. Amen. Amen. So when you ultimately decided to run of course, there was backlash. I mean, you made history, like we said. Of course, nothing nothing ever as a first comes easy. But you mm-hmm. put Delaware on the map for me. In my head, <laughs> I'm, I'm a Canadian girl. I know Canada. I know California and New York. I didn't really know of Delaware. So hearing of it, knowing of its location on the American map, I would assume that it is extremely closed-minded, extremely discriminatory against trans people, people like us. But when I met you, I was like, are they progressive? Did she get backlash? Were they all like, yes, Sarah, for Senate? Or did you what did you experience during that time? You
3: know, one of the things that I I always talk about when I talk about my love for my home state of Delaware is that we are a small state. We are just under a million people. And so I call us a state of power. Yeah, we're, oh, we're tiny.
1: Cute.
3: You're the oh little my state. Oh, yes, you can. And so, what I talk about is that Delaware really is a state of neighbors where everyone's sort of one degree of separation from one another. And I think when you have that sort of small town feel in the entirety of a state, it helps to build relationships. And you both know that it's difficult to hate someone whose story you know. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. And when there's that proximity, when you're near one another, when the trans person is is your neighbor or your colleague or your classmate, it changes the conversation. It changes your perspective. And so I actually think that in many ways, on particularly on issues like LGBTQ equality, Delaware's been at the forefront in large part because we're such a small state and people know one another. And people have gotten to, to know LGBTQ people in their own lives. And it's opened their hearts and it's changed their minds. And so when I ran, the response was overwhelmingly positive Mm -hmm. there was certainly hate there was certainly negativity you know there was certainly my opponent used anti-trans stereotypes his campaign used anti-trans stereotypes bye (laughs) but but voters were yeah voters were like we're not going to have any of that Right, and I won the primary, the Democratic primary, with more than ninety percent of the vote, and the general election with more than seventy percent of the vote. Wow. Then, oh my god!
1: Oh, I didn't know that it that the percentages were that high. Yeah, and and that was
3: because it wasn't because of of, of me. It was because of the goodness of my neighbors. It was because people were, are open minded, and they were like, one, we're not going to stand for discriminatory politics, and two. We want people who are going to speak to our best selves, not people who are going to try to appeal to our fears and our and our prejudices. And I think that the results show that, that people were open-minded and that people were looking at candidates who were going to fight for them and fight for opportunity for every person.
1: I just want to bring it back to that quote you said earlier. It, it's hard to hate the story that you know, what exactly was the wordage, because I feel like that is so powerful, mm-hmm. so important, and most of all, so true. Yeah. It's a
3: quote that I heard from someone else a long time ago, but but what they said is basically, that it's difficult to hate someone whose story you know
1: absolutely Ugh, it is so true the second you know a trans person it's, it's it changes so, everything it, it changes everything you have compassion the, the empathy is built in and it changes everything for you realize everyone.
2: you realize that your world is not going to end by calling someone by the right pronouns mm-hmm. you know things like that. that
3: that's exactly right and i think when you when you get to know someone in the absence of knowing a trans person, it's easy to, to just have that knowledge gap. And in that knowledge gap, opponents of trans rights and trans equality can step in and stoke fears and spread misinformation. They can create a caricature out of who trans people are.
4: Mm-hmm. But then
3: when you get to know a trans person, you're like, oh, they're they're really not any different than, than I am. Yes. They're cool and funny and compassionate and strong and interested in a whole host of things. They're, they're a person. And once that clicks, once you understand that behind a national conversation are real people, inevitably, it lays the foundation for those hearts to open those minds to change and for people to support equality.
1: Exactly. I feel like all people are looking out for for trans people is the enemy, the mm-hmm. weirdo, the They're freak. trying to um, trick us. Exactly. Exactly. There's so many stereotypes behind it. But like you said, once you invoke humor and love and trust and, and friendship... Just- when you realize that trans people are just boring, normal people like the rest of us. Exactly, exactly. You know, once <laughs> they see the normalcy behind us, it's fine. But in the end of the day, we've we've walked in shoes that are so uncomfortable yes. for so long. So we are the unicorns of the human race. And I will say that for Delaware and for the world. <laughs> right.
3: That's absolutely right. I mean, we are both boring and fabulous. Exactly. All
1: to totally. Time.
0: Totally.
2: Senator McBride, what do you do on a day-to-day basis?
3: Well, I'm still learning my job because I'm only <laughs> yes. six months in. No, but, uh, you, you know, on a day-to-day basis, what I get to do is I get to vote on the laws that govern the state I love.
1: That's so exciting. Is that like through email? Is that during a phone call? Like, do you? Because I would assume without COVID, I would assume that you are kind of Delaware's talent. You are their senator. Senator. So it's like she has to go to this dinner. She has to go to this. She has all of these, you know, different things to do throughout the day events, charities. See
2: people, listen to people, listen to corporations. Exactly.
1: Go to different places, give your input, and then vote. But like, what is it like during quarantine? So we started working
3: entirely remotely. And so everything was on Zoom. We were voting on Zoom. We were making speeches on Zoom. We were meeting with constituents on Zoom. We were going to events on Zoom. Now the world is fortunately opening back up. So one, that means that I'm on the floor of the Senate voting and working with my colleagues. It's really incredible to stand on the floor of the Senate, wow. a-, a chamber that I advocated for my rights in front of, to be able right. to stand on that floor as my authentic self fighting for, for dignity for every person is really inspiring. But yeah, there's events in the communities, you march in parades, you cut the ribbons, you meet with constituents, you meet with advocacy organizations. What I love so much about it is, you know, I'm passionate about LGBTQ equality, but I'm passionate about all of the issues that impact us, including trans people, right? Healthcare, education, education, economic opportunity, the environment, racial justice, disability rights. I'm really passionate about all of it. And so what's great about this job and what I loved about politics, what brought me in was that this is the place where you can make the most amount of change on the most number of issues for the most number of people possible. And so I am absorbing so much. I am learning so much. I am listening so much. And I still marvel at the opportunities on so many different issues to create change. I could listen to you talk for... (laughs)
1: Me so too. long! You're so Me amazing, too. and I, think- I miss you. My God, <laughs> I'm like, can we do this in person?
2: I think this is just the start of your political career. I mean, you know that. I know that. I'm so excited to see where this is going to go. You know, thinking about trans people and politics, I have to do a hard left turn. What oh, are your please, thoughts? Please. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Caitlyn Jenner running for governor of California? Oh! <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know, it's funny. I didn't even think about that topic coming into this. And now that you bring it up, I'm like, of course, we're going to get what about
1: that. <laughs> What? of course. <laughs>
3: so, you know, what I had always said prior to this race is that Caitlyn Jenner's coming out was a net positive for the community. One, we should always celebrate anytime someone comes out. And two, that her coming out was really a cultural moment where there was there were conversations happening around living rooms and dinner tables that were never that had never happened.
1: Yeah, that's the big positive takeaway for me. You know, whenever whenever I've been asked or whenever I've seen, I'm like, at least it is a, a household topic nowadays. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't when we were growing up. That's
3: right. It, it, it was completely out of sight, out of mind. Yes. You know, I'm not sure what to make of the seriousness of her campaign. I, I, <laughs> I don't, I'm not entirely sure. I, you know, I see her on Fox News but I'm not sure that I see her talking to voters. And certainly what I think is dangerous is that when you have a prominent transgender official validating the really dangerous anti-trans bills that have been introduced across the country, targeting trans kids in school in after school programs like athletic programs, targeting them for discrimination, putting a bullseye right on their back for bullying that can have dangerous consequences And so, you know, the trans community is not not a monolith. Um, We certainly have differences of opinions, but it is really dangerous when you have someone of her stature, uh, her visibility going out there and validating the very prejudice, the very policies that are at the heart of the discrimination that our community is facing. And so, you know, it's disappointing to see someone take a vanity campaign and, and use it to hurt the very community that's tried to uplift her for the last few years.
1: Let's talk about something that's recently been in the press over the past couple months, the whole sports issue. And the fact that she spoke on that, I was gagging. I was like, oh my God, you know, former athlete myself and former athlete herself and Mimi also former Mm -hmm. athlete or current athlete. I just feel like it is so crazy that she would say what she said because all I would want growing up if I was competing on a national level, Olympic level, or just with my friends in a pool. Literally.
2: Just little girls playing soccer. Right. It would make who cares about the Olympics right now. Nobody goes to the Olympics if you really
1: think about it. But she that's what she had said. She was like they need to be tested if they're gonna be in sports, but at the baseline level, everyone starts playing sports as a young, kid. nobody mm-hmm. starts on a competitive level. You have to grow to that. So it's like f- starting knowing that you can't play with the girls if you're a trans girl or a trans boy or you're somewhere in between and you just want to pick what you gravitate towards. It's just so devastating to me. Like I didn't so make it weird. to the Olympics, but if I, if I wanted to, mm-hmm. I couldn't now, you know? <laughs> I don't know, like,
2: Olympics, I think Olympics and, you know, community sports are two different, completely different topics. Mm -hmm. And I think community sports is way more important to talk about, because this is affecting, literally, children. Yes, children. This is what's being debated right now, whether children can play sports with their friends. Senator McBride, what are your thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, well, first off, I'll preface it by saying, you know, you two talked about current or former athletes. I'm a never athlete. So I I was always losing every competition that I was in, no matter matter how the world perceived me. You know, I, I think you both are right. First off, I'll say on the Olympics, even the Olympics, which has a fairly strict policy, their policy would be too inclusive for these bills if the policies of these bills were applied to the Olympics. So even the Olympics is more inclusive Than what these bills would allow in in their state programs. But I think the broader point is so right that what we're talking about here is we're talking about kids being kids, kids being able to play with one another. Exactly. Kids have the same opportunities as one another to to develop relationships, to develop the skills and, and the values of teamwork that are at the heart of these school programs. And when you're pushing these kids out of that, you're you're seriously, seriously limiting their ability to get a full, safe, quality educational experience by keeping them out of these programs consistent with their gender identity. And ultimately, ultimately, that's what these bills are about. They're not just about sports. They are about validating the very prejudice at the heart of anti-trans discrimination, the idea that trans people aren't our gender identity, one. And two, they're about putting a target on these trans kids' backs that results in really serious bullying discrimination, even violence. And I'm gonna get like super heavy for a second, but ultimately these bills are being pushed forward because these politicians wanna make life so difficult for trans kids that they never grow up
1: to be adults. That's the consequence of those mistakes. Absolutely, I agree. I agree and it's horrible and it's so true. You
2: know, as queer people, we've been gatekept out of sports. And as an athlete, you know, I know that we lose out on so much by not being in sports. We don't get to know like goal setting, building confidence, mm-hmm. knowing that you can achieve something if you really put yourself to it. Those are, there are so many things sports teaches young kids. And as queer people, historically, we've never been allowed to do that. You know, we've never
1: been a part of that. Mm-hmm. It's true. And it is true. I mean, Reflecting back on my experience as a diver when I was en route to the Olympics full on was absolutely not out and I was having a gay experience with one of my teammates, but we didn't feel comfortable to share our stories, whether it be personal you know, insecurities, family at home, friends, or because of the sport, because of all of the, you know, politics of being a competitive diver. I mean, there really weren't many out there. And you know, Greg Louganis was out of the closet mm-hmm. and he was loud and proud and came way before my time. So I always had that kind of bookshelf mark of but a big But I never athlete. went anywhere. Right. Like the doors he opened never stayed open. Exactly. And now we have like Tom Daley, mm-hmm. who's kind of like the face of diving mm-hmm. and there's that. But back then it was, it was like I couldn't come out for many reasons, but one of them was because I didn't want to be like the, the odd one out mm-hmm. in, my, in my athletic role the in my community. The butt of the jokes. Exactly. I, in locker room talk, you yeah. know? Well,
3: and, and I think what you're talking about, too, really, really reinforces something that's been true in sports and athletics throughout history, which is that for all of the the, the individual competitive components of it, for deciding, you know, who wins and who, who loses, for, you know, talking about who wins the championship, for all of that, there's a more significant component that athletics and sports play in our society, which is that they are, they are a fundamental both driver of culture and reflection of culture. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. some of the most significant advancements that we celebrate as a society are the advancements we see in marginalized people getting more access and more ability to pr- fully participate and compete in sports, whether, whether that's in the Olympics, whether that's in professional athletics, or whether that's in our schools. And when young people can grow up seeing people like them pursuing their dreams, reaching their dreams, that's just not life-affirming. That can be life-saving for kids.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it is so real. It is so, so real. And raising raising a child now, like Nats and I are looking towards raising kids, everyone who's a new parent, it's like you would think that this would be the time to be like, yes, my mm. kid can express exactly who they are. But it is just as scary when you think about things like that. It's like, if I'm going to be bringing up a new child in California, these are the things that I need to care about and think about, worry about.
3: It's true. And there are definitely significant challenges that we're facing. I will say that one of the things that gives me so much hope, and I know, you know, we've talked about this, is that there are so many out trans kids right now who are doing what once seemed so impossible to us, Mm
0: -hmm. and that
3: they are living their truth and dreaming big dreams all at the same time. And, you know, for all of the challenges we face, we cannot forget how far we've come, that's and true. we cannot forget the fact that these attacks are a byproduct of our progress. This is this is a last ditch effort in the last moment where it is potentially politically possible for them to do it. This is a last ditch effort for them to codify and legislate this discrimination, and it's a reflection of the fact that we are far stronger than they are. That we have made significant progress, and ultimately, ultimately, they know that the clock is running out on their
2: bigotry. They're
1: desperate they're very Mm -hmm.
2: desperate at this Mm -hmm. point.
1: Senator, what are you working on right now? What have you voted on that you think in like the Cliff Notes version, people who really don't really know what's going on right now need to know about and need to pay attention to in the future?
3: Sure. So entering the Delaware State Senate in the midst of a global public health crisis has been interesting to say the least. And when I took office, I became the chair of the Senate Health and Social Services Committee, which means that I am the chair of the committee that oversees healthcare policy in the Senate. And my main priority has been to ensure that every person and every family can get the health care that they need to live and to thrive. One, that includes not just the cost of actual care. It also means people not having to sacrifice their job and their income to get life-saving health care. Right now, in in most states in this country, in most states in the United States, we don't have paid family and medical leave, which means that people are forced to sacrifice their income when they're diagnosed with an illness. Right,
2: that's so sick. Uh,
3: it's terrible. It's cruel. It's unsustainable. And we are the only industrialized nation in the world without a paid family and medical leave program. Really, it's I did not, not first know world. that.
2: It's not first world. It's we're very the weird. only one.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're the only. We're the only only nation. And so I recently introduced Senate Bill 1, which would provide 12 weeks of paid leave to families, whether they're welcoming a child into their family, like Mm -hmm. you are considering doing, whether they're diagnosed with a serious illness, whether they're caring for a family member who's struggling through a serious health condition, whether they're a survivor of domestic violence, seeking safety and security and other qualifying events, it would make sure that when folks face hard times, we do more to support them, that they never have to sacrifice their income in the face of illness or a major life event. That's so, you, so you, you You
1: proposed that recently, you said. How long ago and how's it going? I proposed the bill in, I introduced the legislation in May
3: and I, I've spent the last several months meeting with stakeholders in drafting the legislation. I will continue to meet with folks to continue to talk it through. And I'm eager to pass this legislation early next year. Um, And then I'm working on a whole other host of bills from everything from education to uh, rights for undocumented folks, to protections, non-discrimination protections for people, a whole host of issues. So I'm really excited to be able to have have a role to play in so many different issues that I'm passionate about and that I know matter to my neighbors.
1: Mm-hmm. You know what? I just thought of a random question. This is kind of fun. <laughs> when you're elected senator <laughs> of Delaware, first trans senator in the United States of America... Who was your most exciting person that reached out to you that you kind of, as <gasps> a little girl, screamed about Great inside?
3: Question. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of, there's like articles of like celebrities celebrating Sarah McBride. Right. If, Alaska, it was, <laughs> if it was a
1: celebrity or if it wasn't, I just want to know what was your like, this is crazy moment.
3: I think when like, you know, Kerry Washington and all of them were tweeting. Oh my God. My oh,
1: wife. wow. I love her.
3: I'm good friends with Amy Schumer. And she, when I won the primary, oh. she, she, FaceTimed me, which was
1: which was lovely. Right. Oh, I love her,
3: too. I, of course, um, you know, I'm from Delaware, and, you know, I go back with Joe Biden, mm-hmm. so... The Bidesters. Congr- from, from the president-elect of the United States at that point. Crazy. Wow. Was surreal for me. I mean, I, I, it is unbelievable. I was endorsed during the campaign by President Barack Obama, which was... Wow. Wait, what? You were? Yeah. Yeah, which was not in... He didn't come, through, but he endorsed my campaign, which was... That I think was the moment where I have chills. Mimi I has have chills and I'm
1: seeing them. Yeah, really? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah.
3: I, I broke down because he was certainly for me when I was growing up, the the idol, right? Mm-hmm. The, right. the icon for so many different reasons. And for, he, for him to endorse my campaign was
1: surreal more than wow. anything else. Wow. Wow. That is huge. Wow. I was thinking like. I was thinking, like your friend from from high school. <laughs> <laughs> not, not Obama. Not oh, Obama.
3: I thought you were like your art okay. teacher. Oh, no, no,
1: no, Miss Sarah. You gave me everything. Miss Senator McBride. You gave me everything and I, more. I, sorry, I thought you were asking for like well-known. People. Oh yeah, no, you I just killed say, it. Wow, I've just I've just been queerified on, on my own podcast.
3: <laughs> I will say I will say one thing, and she's she's well-known. Danica Rome, who became the first out trans legislator in the country, right after the polls closed, she was elected three years ago, right after the polls closed, I was driving from my old high school, which was the last polling location that I visited as the polls were closing, I was driving from there to the, the hopefully victory party, and <laughs> about 15 minutes after the polls closed, I'm, dri- I'm, I'm in the passenger seat, I'm refreshing the results on my phone, over and over again. And the first batch of results come in that have me winning by such a margin that it was clear that I was gonna win. Oh my God. instantly, instantly my phone lights up with a call from Danica Rome, the first out trans legislator. And it was so fitting that the first person I spoke to was the person who whose oh. shoulders I was literally standing on. Yeah. And and she, you know, she showed me that you could be trans and run for office and win. And so to have her Celebrate the first call that I got Was really, really special Oh my
1: goodness So were you were in the car When you talked to her? Like, did you guys Did you cry?
3: I didn't cry until I got to the event And I walk in and Was
1: she just like Go get him, girl This is looking really good
3: <laughs> She's like, damn Slayer McBride <laughs> Yes Yeah, oh work I love that nickname And then but And then we get to the victory party And I walk in And my campaign manager says to me the associated press just called your race <gasps> oh my
1: god
2: it's
3: so and cool. i walked outside and my mom was there
1: uh, and
3: my mom sort of grabs me there's this picture i've seen it where i'm like my mom's grabbing me and i'm grabbing her and she's crying and i'm crying and it was just it was a really it was yes. it was it was really special and it was special. a
1: small group of you guys right i remember in the photo it didn't look like it was very many people i was like they are freaking out the 15 people that are there.
3: Well, we had to be COVID safe. So we could only have, it was that, you know, there was a huge spike happening. So we only had about like, you know, the core group of 15, 20 folks that worked on the campaign that were in my family, close friends. So we couldn't celebrate to the scale that we wanted to. And we certainly did not anticipate There was a period of time where there weren't any results in the presidential election. And so the news when when my race was declared, it was relatively early in the evening, just spread like wildfire across the country. And and we were certainly not expecting that that result uh, that and that response. Right. It was powerful in that moment. You know the real work begins after you win an election, but to know on that night that we were sending a small but important message to huge, a young person—huge, message. Or elsewhere.
1: My God, it w- it took the world. I feel like even the aliens heard about it, bitch. Yes, when I first <laughs> saw when
2: I saw it on Twitter on my phone. I screamed I ran around in circles I couldn't believe it I didn't know this was happening today that's what I
1: felt oh me too I was like I have not been keeping up yeah like today right now it's official (laughs) huge congrats honestly congratulations I'm so proud of you I'm so proud of the work that you're doing and continue to do I feel like you will genuinely change the world for the better it's very
2: um like one of us one of us (laughs) totally (laughs) Totally.
1: well the feeling
3: is more than mutual i love you both and i just love everything that you both are doing and that you've started this podcast and i get to be a guest on it (laughs) oh yes
1: honey we we we, there's no way we couldn't have the senator there's no way Mm.
4: Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash audio. Visit IXL.com slash audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price.
2: Sarah, a big part of your story is the love of your life. I mean, when you Google Sarah McBride, Andy Cray comes up, and it is... One of the most beautiful and devastating stories you could hear. Can we talk about him a little bit? Yeah,
3: and first off, thank you for saying his name.
2: Mm-hmm. A
3: lot of times when I'm having these conversations and in an interview, people haven't taken the time to to look up his name. So thank you for saying his name. I, I it, like it just hit me that you said that, and and I never really thought oh, about
1: that's so. That is so heartbreaking that, is, that, is that people would, would do that because we didn't look up his name. I mean, you, you've told me his name. We've talked about this in person. So it's not that I'm just I really feel like if people don't know your story, they need to know this aspect of your life because mm-hmm. it is so instrumental. And in I feel like the person that you are, the outlook that you have on life mm-hmm. and what you inspire others to do. So if you could t- just tell us a little bit about Andy. I'm sure our listeners would really appreciate it.
3: Yeah. And, and it really is one of the reasons why I share my story, my love story with Andy, with people is because it is both really formative for me, but I also think a really, I think, powerful story about the stakes and the urgency that we have to feel. And so I, I met Andy when I was 21. He was 23, almost 24. He was a transgender man. He had come out a couple years before we met when he was in college. And by the time we met, he was uh, working in Washington, D.C. to expand access to health care, to the LGBTQ community. And when I say we met more accurately, I would say we bumped into each other. We were actually we were at a White House pride reception in the Obama White <laughs> right, House. Right.
1: So, everyone, I want you to, like, close your eyes. Yeah, Close and your think eyes. Think imagine about Sarah happening. and Andy bumping <laughs> into each other at the White House. Two trans icons. <laughs> In the political space, bumping into each other, are we on a lifetime movie? No, it's a full-on like
2: Netflix, uh, studio movie. It's full-on, like it's a meet
1: cute. You had a meet cute. your meet cute was at the White House. How can you even write that? <laughs> like,
3: no, I know it's it's well. You know, I don't remember it.
1: I mean, I remember <laughs> the event. I mean, that's fine. We're just, you had other things on your mind. Boys weren't on your mind. I
3: was like, oh my God, these like paintings and like the blue room, and the East room and the chandeliers. I was like, oh my God. And we bump into each other and, you know, he probably said, I'm sorry. I probably said, I'm sorry and moved on. So I get a Facebook message from him a couple weeks later and he introduces himself and he said, hey, we bumped into each other at the White House. We've been in the same space a couple times together. And he said that he thought we'd get along swimmingly. I was like, (laughs) who the hell says the word swimmingly? It's a very like dad joke or dad quote. It's such, I was like, clearly this person is an old soul. And like my, he was brilliant, kind, funny, principled. But more than anything else, what I look for in a partner is they have to be goofy. And he was (laughs) such a goofball. Oh, love that. And so I fell in love with him incredibly quickly. And about a year and a half into our relationship, Andy was diagnosed with cancer and we were we were both really lucky. He had health insurance, we both had a job that allowed us to focus on really the full time job of Andy trying to save his life and me being there by his side to care for him and so he was able to undergo treatment he he underwent really significant surgery that left him having to relearn how to talk, eat, and breathe. Oh
1: my goodness. He underwent
3: radiation and chemotherapy and he got a clean bill of health. And as two young trans people falling in love and and fighting for the community, we love it. Just seemed like we had a world of, of possibilities before us until about eight months after that clean bill of health when he received the news that every single cancer patient fears. His cancer was back, it had spread, and for him it was terminal. And when he found out that he didn't have much time left, he asked me to marry him. And we married on the rooftop of our apartment building in August of 2014. And then just four days after that, he passed away. And and like I said, for me, that, that relationship and loving Andy left me changed. He taught me how to love and be loved. He taught me how to live the values I fight for at work in my own life. But more than anything else, my relationship with him underscored for me that change cannot come fast enough, that every day matters when it comes to building a world where every person can live their life to the fullest. And that when we ask people to sit back and allow for a slow conversation to take place before we treat them with dignity and ensure them opportunity, We are asking people to watch their one life pass by without the respect and fairness that everyone deserves. And that's just too much to ask of anyone.
1: Yeah. Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like I just relived it. I'm very excited for everyone to get into that part of your life. And I just Mm want to, I want to pull a quote that kind of relates to what you said a couple seconds ago. You said, there are many lessons I take from his passing, but the biggest is is that though we may feel invincible, we never know how much time we have left. Life is too short for outdated dogmas to impede on our pursuit of happiness. And I feel like I can relate to that mm-hmm. beyond. You never know. You, you know. Grief is something that you you are never prepared for. But it's what you do with the grief. And that quote is just so beautifully said i just feel relate to it oh i I relate to it on so many levels like when i one of the biggest the biggest loss in my life was my mother and i've said and i continue to say live every day like it's your last like you don't know when something is going to to hit you don't Mm -hmm. know if a tragic disaster is going to happen whether it be a car crash, whatever, cancer, you don't know how fast this is going to escalate. So you need to really take every single moment as a blessing. And whenever I'm having a moment, I'm always like, I woke up today. So of course, it's going to be a beautiful day. And Andy was so young. This should not have happened. So young.
3: Yeah. One of the things that, that I think about often is that Every resource that we have is, is pretty much endless, right? You can always find more of something. The one thing you cannot find more of is time.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. It's the mm-hmm.
3: one resource we cannot waste. And each of us has the beautiful blessing, the privilege of being alive. We don't know how long we have. We don't know what the journey will have in store for us. But the idea that anyone, anyone would stand in the way of another person taking their one life and living it to the fullest, I think that is one of the cruelest things you can do.
1: Absolutely. Ab- you can never get that time back. And I don't believe in regret, but you will always regret that. Mm-hmm. You will.
2: Sarah, you are such the right person for this job. Like you have me so galvanized. I mean, I have to say, I get lazy sometimes. I'm like, you know what? I don't want to talk about it. I'll vote when I vote. You know, like I'll do my job and that's it. That's all we can do it's not. You're like, it's not all you can do. There yes. is more to living than just voting for what you believe in. You can have these conversations, even though it is hard sometimes.
3: Well, and, and, and politics, you know, it's not just about voting, but it's also not just about talking about politics. The political is personal. Everything we do in some ways can help create change. And in talking about our own stories and having conversations like this, what you both are doing, that's inherently political. Because you are having conversations that huh. might not be about who's winning the election. They might not be about yes. bills in Congress. The conversations that you're having, though, are helping to educate people. They're helping to illuminate different experiences. They're bringing joy to people's lives that is just as political as passing a bill or voting on election day because it creates change for people i mean oh, I love honestly
2: every time i step on a court a tennis court and i play a man who's twice my size Hello. so masculine Hello. ready to beat me i feel like i'm you know making a political act
1: you're just a tennis, you're a tennis on senator court,
2: like i act so gay just to let them know that i can be so fucking gay and i'm gonna kick your ass like that's, I just love, I love being that. so gay in front of these yep. people. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> flex, mother, flex. Sarah, this has been so enlightening. You always get me so galvanized and ready to fight for our rights. Thank you for being a fighter for our rights. Do you want to stay with us and answer some queries, some questions?
3: Sure. Yes. Oh, thank Absolutely. you, thank
2: you, Senator. <laughs> All
1: right, we are going to be right back after this little break. All right, we are back. We are here to answer your queries. As you guys know, you can call us on our hotline at 1 844QUERYS, which is Q U E E R Y S. That's 1 queerys And nothing is off limits. So let's get into it. And Senator is here to walk us through these questions. Okay, uh, let's see our first question. Hi there. My name is Eric Page from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And I have a question for the one and only Mrs. Getty Gorgeous. What is the best piece of advice someone gave you leading up to your wedding during your engagement or on your wedding day? Love you guys. Oh, love, love you, you Eric. Eric.
2: We know Eric. Eric is our friend. I love him so much. Gigi, do you want to answer first? We're all going to
1: answer the question. Yeah. I mean, this is huge because, you know, she's had a wedding as well mm. and you are gonna have one as well. I mean, um, she's been Mimi's been yet. in a relationship for <laughs> so long, it's basically like they're leading up to their wedding. But to start, I would say the biggest piece of advice is just to take everything in. Like it is so hard just to get it it's so easy rather, just to get so wrapped up in the preparation of making everyone happy and, you know, not really like just taking in the fact mm-hmm. that you are marrying the love of your life and That is something that I struggle with so much. I'm always thinking about next week or the next hour or we got the flowers. But what about this? It's just like everything will happen. And on the wedding day, let me just give you a piece of advice. People can come up and say hi to you. You don't need to go up and say hi to each guest. People can say hi to you. It is your day. It is your money. It is you and your partner's day. Have the best time ever because... It goes by so fast. We had a weekend wedding mm-hmm. and it felt like a one-day wedding. Mm-hmm. Like it was just bam, 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 bam. And then by the time you're just, you're a married couple and the wedding is gone. So get into it,
2: Eric. Mm-hmm. Be selfish. <laughs> I've never had a wedding, so I can't give any advice. But Sarah, do you have any advice? <laughs> uh, well, so I had, I had obviously very unique experiences my
3: wedding. One, I will say, I I decided I had a very non-traditional wedding, obviously. But one, I was like, you know what? Even though these circumstances are ridiculous, I'm going to pamper myself a little bit. And I splurged on my wedding dress. And I treated myself on it. I was like, I want to... This is this is a difficult day, but I want to look... I want to I know that I'm going to look amazing. And, and if you that did. I'm going to splurge a little bit. I will. And so I did that. The second thing more seriously is... In that circumstance, my brother said to me that, you know, all of this was going to be incredibly difficult because it was Andy was passing away. That I should take a, take stock in the acts of amazing grace that would fill my life.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And that grace was everywhere. And so take moments to look around and see, because it's really stressful, but you'll see family members and friends doing things that just show their love for you in a really mm-hmm. and carry those moments with you when things get hard, when things get tough, because all of us can bear witness to those acts of amazing grace. And you don't have to be in my circumstance to see that grace surround you at your wedding.
1: I love oh, that's that. That's such a good question. It's so good. I feel like I, I'm going to take that with me always. Sarah,
2: have you ever thought about selling your story to a movie producer
3: no
1: comment (laughs) oh my god yes work is that a yeah oh that's definitely a it's happening and being filmed now in Uh vancouver (laughs) 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 oh my god i love that okay let's see our next question
2: hi uh my name is chris i'm not gonna give my last name and i'm from mississauga so my question for you guys is I love my boyfriend, but lately he's been acting extra gay around my grandparents. Should I say something? Should I do something? Or should I just leave it alone?
1: Thanks.
4: Oh, wow. Two things. (laughs) First of
1: all, clearly you're not out, right? I would assume that he's not out or maybe they are out. Maybe they're not out to the grandparents. Yeah. This seems like something you need to definitely speak to him about if you are worried about your grandma her reaction at all but i want you to look also inward within yourself is this something that is triggering you because you are not expressing your true quote-unquote gayness or is this something that is maybe something your grandma will love like is she obsessed with it maybe listen you cannot control
2: anybody's behavior other than yourselves if your boyfriend wants to be gay in front of your grandparents, you should support your boyfriend. If your grandparents have a problem with it, maybe you can talk to them. But it's not their business. And it's also not your business to put your boyfriend back into the closet. Oh, dear. That's just not how it works. Mm-hmm. It's there's an issue with this, but Sarah, what do you think about this? I
1: wish we had more context.
3: I, yeah, I interpreted it as they were out, but that the boyfriend was acting quote, extra gay around Mm, the grandparents. True. true. It was like the situation was his boyfriend's acting, you know, more feminine more feminine or more sort of visibly, visibly queer. And yeah, I mean, I think what you both said is, is right. I think one, he can ask, you seem to act differently around my grandparents. Why are you doing that? and to understand what's at the heart of, of maybe like why might behavior be different. But ultimately I think the point that you all made is right. Which is that like, is the boyfriend acting more gay around the grandparents or is there some projection happening around, you know, being totally comfortable in expressing oneself in any way. And there's no one way to be gay. There's no one way to be queer. There's no one way to be trans. And we, we, you know, sometimes have to, process our own feelings to ensure that our partner can live as authentically as they want and need to and that might be happening
2: here so you might be right this sounds this seems like a him thing and not a boyfriend thing that's what
1: i think so too i mean and who knows maybe the grandma's bringing it out of him in a perfect (laughs) fairy tale world maybe the grandma's like yes queen and that's what's happening you know maybe he feels extra comfortable maybe That would be a beautiful little twist. But Chris, we wish you the best luck. Um, You and your boyfriend. Have a talk. This is a talk. Yes.
2: Okay. Let's see our third question. Good luck, Christopher.
0: Hi. I first want to start off by saying I love you both. You're both amazing. My name is Cass. And during this pandemic, I had to change my job really significantly. And I really love what I'm doing now. But I also really loved what I used to do before. And so I'm wondering, how do you know when an opportunity is right for you or is the right one for you? Thank you
1: so much. I love this, Cass. Mm -hmm. I love this question. I feel like a lot of people have had to change jobs because of COVID and their situation. And even before the pandemic, life just comes your way. Mm -hmm. And I would say you just have to trust your gut. Sometimes you said you liked your previous job and you like this job. So I would say, you know, Maybe your last job was for that moment of your life. And this one is for this moment, like live in the moment. And if your gut is telling you, I really want to go back to my old job. You don't got to go back to the same one, maybe just the same field. You, whatever is going to please you and make you excited in the morning. Mm-hmm. I think that that is the best way for you to feel fulfilled. What do you guys think? Well, I'll go before Sarah, but and this may be like a hard
2: line, but in my thoughts, like always say yes. Yes. Say yes to every single opportunity. Go down every single road that is presented to you. Take every job that you can take because you never know. Like in my world, I, I go with everything. I say yes. And I think I, I heard that from Joan Rivers, like say yes to every job.
1: Yeah. Joan Rivers and Lisa Rinna. She's like, mm-hmm. we're yes girls. Yeah. I I agree, but I also disagree. I feel mm-hmm. like you can't pack yourself so jam full. You need you need to really just be like, this is mm-hmm. what I want to do. And if it's full-time, you can't really have like three full-time jobs. True. Unless you're crazy and you have like a triplet situation where you could just <laughs> conquer and or separate and divide and conquer. What do you think, Senator?
3: Yeah, I, I would say if you're lucky enough to like what you're doing right now, I wouldn't chase old examples of happiness or potential future examples of happiness. I would enjoy the happiness in front of you oh, I love and recognize that, that, that life is... Life is long, hopefully, and life is a journey and you will have other opportunities to either return to old opportunities or find new opportunities. Um, but don't prematurely end your happiness right now in pursuit of a memory or in pursuit of some other other potential idea. Enjoy that happiness in the moment and other opportunities will come.
2: What do you guys think about like people who don't do anything, who don't have a job, but will not take a job because it's like, oh, that's not enough money. Or like that's uh, I don't know about that. Like people who just don't take advantage of opportunities, because there are people like that. We know, I know yes. those people. You know those people.
1: Yes, I would say you know first and foremost, I can't relate with not having <laughs> a a drive or a passion or something that I want to self fulfill. I need to. I need right. Like I know a t- I know so many people. You know, especially in Los Angeles, they're just like ah. It, uh whatever, you know, like, it's fine. But for me, I've always been a go getter. I've always mm-hmm. been like, let's do this. This is what I want to do. But I know not everyone's like that. I think that if you are one of those people who's passing up opportunities, mm-hmm. you're going to end up kicking yourself in the ass. You you're will see end up nothing. Exactly. You will see it not maybe tomorrow, not next year. In time, you will look back and be like, I Damn well should have taken that opportunity mm-hmm. because life isn't as good as it was, or mm-hmm. isn't as easy as it was, or you know whatever it may be. I just feel like everyone kind of learned their lesson, yeah, sooner rather than later, you know.
3: And I also think that like this is going to sound super practical, but I think sometimes we can hold out for the perfect and let the perfect be the enemy of good or even great. And sometimes we should take the good and great in front of us, absolutely, seize that moment and make the best out of it. The second thing I'd say, though, is that if someone's passing up opportunities, really look into yourself and ask yourself, why are you passing up that opportunity? Is it because you is it because you don't want to do it? Or is it because you're scared? Is it because you're worried about fulfilling whatever opportunity is coming your way? And if it's that fear, go for it, do it, take the risk. But if it is that you are just genuinely happy not doing that job or genuinely happy with where you are in your life then that's fine too. I won't begrudge anyone for doing what makes them happy. And if not having a job while they're still able to live makes them happy, then so
2: be it. Mm. That's a good one, Sarah. Senator McBride. Sorry, Sarah.
1: (laughs) Okay, this is our last
0: query of the ad. Here we go. Hi, Gigi. I'm a big fan. My name is Stephanie and I'm from Houston, Texas. I recently lost my dog, Bubble. Um, I had her for about 10 years and I'm Really just missing the time spending with her. And I was wondering if you think it would be too soon for me to start looking at getting another dog. All right. Thank you. Bye. Oh, my god!
1: <laughs> oh, First of all, R.I.P. Bubble. Sorry, I love that Bubble. name. Yeah, That is so cute. Was that Stephanie? Stephanie, I think. I would say... If you're asking the question, if it's too soon, I don't think that it's too soon. I don't think so either. I think you should just go for it. it, it 10 years is so long. That is so beautiful. You're so lucky to have that time with Bubble. And, you know, go for it. Go, yes. go for it. Ditto. Ditto. Get a dog.
3: I will. I, and let me just say two things. One Screw anyone who tries to police your grief.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, oh my God. Another quote, another fire quote from Senator. <laughs> That's a great one. Like,
3: I'm sorry, but I'm also sorry about your loss because I, I, I know losing an animal can feel just as deep as losing a person because you spend so much time with them. And the final thing I'd say, though, is that in getting another animal and getting a new, a new pet, a new dog. That's actually a tribute to bubbles because what you're saying is that you so loved your time with bubbles that you can't imagine living without. A joy in your life oh. like that, and that you're searching for it again, and that you're—it's a tribute
1: to Bubbles. I think to get another dog, I love that. For, I love that. For me, I would get a completely different breed. You know, <laughs> don't replace. Yeah. Don't replace the vision because you're going to wake up and be like Bubbles. Oh no, not that's that's not Bubbles. Oh, that's my, my new dog. You know, like different color. Go for a different vibe. But mm-hmm. I I, I, def- I definitely agree. It's it's still a tribute, and that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, she sounds like a dog person. Yeah, so. Stephanie, please, please uh, uh, Instagram us, and please. Show us your new puppy When you get one And show us Bubble And show us Bubble Yes
2: Awesome Sarah That's the end Of our time This has been Such an amazing podcast I just love Basking in intelligence And grace You've been amazing
1: Yeah you are A a pure Pure example Of why we started Queerified Mm -hmm. And we are so blessed To have your time We know you are So busy and it's just so great seeing your growth from when we met to now. Uh, and I'm so happy to share your your story and your life with our listeners.
3: Thank you both so much for having me. I've so loved this time with you both. It's great to see you too. And I can't <laughs> wait to see you both in person sometime at some point in the future. Yes. yes.
1: Fingers crossed. It's before in the Delaware. end of the year. Let's go to Delaware. Delaware. Oh, my yes, God. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Open invite. So before we let you go, is there anything that you want to let the listeners know about? Anything you want to promote? And also, where can we find you on social media?
3: Well, that was exactly what I was going to say. Folks should absolutely stay in touch with me. They can follow me on Instagram at Sarah E. McBride, Twitter at Sarah E. McBride, or find me on Facebook at Sarah McBride or Senator Sarah McBride. Either one works. And I will keep up with everyone who comes and reaches out there.
1: Awesome. Thank you again for coming on. And we love you to bit. Thank you so much to our guest, the Senator, Sarah McBride,
2: and thank you for listening. You can follow Gigi on Instagram, at Gigi
1: and me, at Mark Maverick. And as always, Queerified is a presentation of Ramble, a Cadence 13 studio. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes. Available now for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Love you guys. Bye. You've just been queerified.